Welcome to your podcast or mine, where the creative minds behind the mic are interviewed. Now, let's get things started. Here's your host, Sherry. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Your Podcast or Mine. I'm Sherry, and today I'm speaking with Kelly Pollock, one of the creative minds behind Two Broads Talking Politics. Thanks so much for joining me today, Kelly. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Why don't we get things started by giving a brief description of your podcast, Two Broads Talking Politics. Yes, Two Brads Talking Politics is a three times a week podcast. It's usually around 20 minutes, although it's not super strict. And we are two progressive moms who live in the Midwest, and we talk politics uh, like it sounds. We talk to to candidates and activists and organizers and uh, all sorts of people involved in politics. When did the idea for the podcast uh, come about? How did that happen? So about a week before we started recording. Um, <laughs> we're not planners. <laughs> so in around September, uh, so in September of 2017, uh, I listened to tons of podcasts. I was listening to tons of political podcasts before the 2016 election, and then lots and lots after the 2016 election. And so I had an idea in the back of my mind to do one. But, you know, I hadn't gotten it past the idea stage. And then in September 2017, Sophie was posting something on Facebook. She was ranting about Steve Bannon. One of her friends said, you should start a podcast. And she just kind of laughed it off and was like, oh, haha. And I saw it and was like, yes, let's do it. And a week later, we started doing it. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it was <laughs> – Wow, just like off that that's wonderful starting off just like that. <laughs> just based off of a, a random post. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it my husband has a podcast and so I knew something about how podcasts were done and you know, I, I listened to a bunch of podcasts so I had a fair idea of, you know, what to do and how to do it. And I also think we started with the idea that, well, if it's not great, nobody will listen and oh well. (laughs) You know, we've changed all sorts of things Uh, since we started. We changed the logo. We added a website later. We changed the format multiple times. And we just sort of kept playing with it and seeing what worked instead of doing a whole bunch of planning up front. (laughs) Well, you were also inspired by the Women's March to do something Am I correct? Yeah, definitely. Prior to the 2016 presidential election, I think Sophie and I both were super interested in politics. I had spent a lot of time every four years sort of following the horse race of presidential politics. Uh, I live in Hyde Park in Chicago, which is where Obama lived. So sort of really closely following the 2008 and 2012 elections. But I didn't do a whole lot with it. I voted all the time, and I would give money to candidates. But I didn't make phone calls. I didn't canvass. I didn't do any of that stuff. And so I think I woke up the day after the 2016 election and said, I should have done more. Why didn't I do more? And, you know, Sophie, the same thing, and lots and lots and lots of other people, we know the same thing as well. 
and but it was really the women's march that was sort of our first moment of political activism sort of coming together realizing the power that we had to affect the discourse. We did, women's March was all over the news. I knit like a hundred some pussy hats. Like, you know, I was doing something and it made a difference. And maybe it didn't make a huge difference individually, but collectively it made a big difference. And so that sort of, I think, woke us up to what was really possible and how many other people were really hungering for something. And so it was uh, definitely super inspirational for us. Now, how did you meet Sophie? Uh, had you been friends prior to that, or was it through uh, the Women's March that you met, or was it another catalyst? Yeah, so we were friends already. Uh, I work at the University of Chicago, and she went to grad school there, and so she had worked in my office as a student worker, and so we knew each other, and then we kept in touch after she left Chicago and moved up to Madison. It was one of those sort of social media friendships after that. We didn't see each other much, but we knew what was going on in each other's lives. Uh, I have two sons, and then she had a son, so we would talk about parenting uh, and talked a lot about politics on social media in general, especially on Facebook. We did know each other. We weren't super close friends prior to the podcast, but we knew each other and were close enough friends that it wasn't weird to be starting something like this together. Uh, you know, and we certainly knew we had similar political beliefs. <laughs> At this point, I don't know that I have very many friends on social media who don't have similar political beliefs <laughs> to me. But it was very clear that she was also very outspoken about politics. And so it was sort of very natural. And in the process of doing the podcast, become closer friends. And it also helps that we're raising sons in the Midwest, lots of other things in common. Well, I grew up in uh, Pennsylvania, in, in the Pocono Mountains area. It, it's a bedroom community for New York City and Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. A lot of people move from the Philadelphia, New Jersey, New York City area. But I grew up there my whole life. So there were a lot of opinions, but now I live in Florida. And it's a complete 180. It's completely <laughs> divisive here. You You can't a rock without having a neighbor or hearing a conversation at a restaurant that isn't divisive or leaning towards one candidate or another. And my sister lives outside of Madison in a town called Janesville, which is probably 30 minutes away from Madison and about an hour away from Chicago. She lives right in, in, Mm -hmm. in that area. And that was a factory town. And it's kind of the same way there. It's kind of split down the middle. It's just very different now uh, living in Florida. Social media, I found, is very divisive also. I tend to not get into arguments with people. I just let them say what they want to say. So people who know me will know who I lean towards. And, and And that's on the Democratic side. Although there are some Republicans that have passed away that I really respect, and even some now, but there aren't enough of them, given the the climate that is going on right now. Yeah. <laughs> Finding your podcast and, and seeing a point of view that I agree with is refreshing, being surrounded by <laughs> an area that is very pro-Trump. So. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, and we we try very hard and very deliberately to cover different parts of the country. You know, it's it's easy to be a Democrat in the south side of Chicago and, you know, even in Madison. It's easy to be a Democrat there. If anyone is hiding what they believe, it's the Republicans who are there who are hiding it. You know, I I can walk down the street and still see Hillary Clinton signs up, actually. (laughs) And so we make sure that we aren't just focusing on those places where it is so easy. And, And instead, we're talking to people who are running for office in places where it's super red or it's super split. And, you know, thinking about races that are down ballot, people who are running for city council, and state legislature, and these things that just nobody is talking to these people. They're, they're, they just don't get a lot of media exposure. And it's important. I think it's important everywhere to know that you're not alone. So I'm right now as we're recording, I'm visiting my parents in Ohio in an area that is not super democratic. And, you know, my mom is kind of afraid to show her politics a lot of the time. I don't own any t-shirts that aren't political at this point. So I've been walking (laughs) around town wearing shirts that say elect women and, you know, things like that. And I have found that even in this area where you can see a Trump flag driving down the street, there are plenty of people who are walking up to me and it turns out they are Democrats and they want to talk about electing women and they want to know who I want to vote for in the primary. It's really interesting to realize. And I think that's one of the things that was so powerful about the women's marches all over the country and about lots of the other protests and rallies that have been happening and indivisible groups that have been forming is realizing that like, even in these places that you feel like it's divisive and it's Republican and, you know, there are people who are Trumpers, but still really there are, there are good people fighting for good values everywhere. And that's not always just Democrats and it's not always just progressive Democrats. You know, it's just people who are all standing up for what's good and what's right. Right. You do have a lot of um, male candidates, but a lot of the people that you speak with are women, including you had Amy Klobuchar on several months ago, which I thought was really cool Mm -hmm. that, that she took the time out to speak with you about her viewpoints. She's Yeah, she's great. And we got to talk to uh, Kirsten Gillibrand as well. Uh, So we do this series of episodes every other Friday called Vote Her In. It's a collaboration we do with an author named Rebecca Sive. And Rebecca wrote a book called Vote Her In. It's about why we should elect the first woman president and why we should all be working toward that goal. And so those episodes, we only talk to women. You talk to men (laughs) on other episodes. Uh, but on the voter in episodes, we only talk to women, and we we try to talk to women who have had executive power or who are running for president. So we talked to Amy Klobuchar, Kirsten Gillibrand, and Marianne Williamson, and we've talked to people who have been lieutenant governors, and it's been really fascinating to think about, you know, what would it mean to have a woman president? You know, we've got more women in Congress. It feels like we finally have a huge number of women in Congress, but in the Senate, it's still only like a quarter of the Senate that's women. (laughs) And I think it's only like 26% or something of uh, the House, too. So even when you get a lot of women, it's not really anywhere near parity. And We've never had a woman at the top. We've never even had a woman as vice president. We've had so few women governors around the country. You know, and what would that mean? What would that mean? What would that have meant to me as a little girl to have looked up and seen that? What would that mean to everyone to be thinking about 
you know, what, what women need and, and how it's different uh, for women and, and issues that men don't think about as much, uh, or at least historically haven't thought about as much. And so it's been really fascinating to to think about that. And, you know, that doesn't mean, of course, that if it was like Sarah Palin running against, I don't know, Julian Castro or something like, you know, of course, no, I wouldn't vote for the woman just because she's a woman, but all other things being equal, like, no, I I think we need a woman. (laughs) That's definitely been a a thing that we've been very, uh, very deliberately talking about. Uh, What are your thoughts on the electoral vote versus the popular vote? (laughs) <laughs> I think the electoral vote is very outdated. I think the reasons for putting it in place initially were racist to begin with and are super outdated at this point. You know, there was a lot to do with slavery and how it was set up. If it were up to me, we'd get rid of the Senate as well and just have one uh, House that was popularly elected. I'm not going to get very far in pushing that. But I, I think for the presidential election, we should go to a popular vote. I mean, it's obvious as a Democrat that I would want that because Democrats two times in the past 20 years have won the popular vote and lost the electoral vote. But I think Mm -hmm. even if it weren't affecting my party, it just doesn't feel right that there's anything other than a popular vote that is how we elect the most powerful person in the country and really in a lot of ways the most powerful person in the world. And you can see how sort of bizarre it is when you talk to anybody else. You talk to anybody from any other country and you try to tell them how we elect a president. (laughs) You try to explain it to kids. My kids are like, wait, what? (laughs) This doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I I think if it were serving any sort of purpose, you know, it'd be different if – If, for instance, the electors could go against the vote from their state and say, no, we don't think Donald Trump should be president and vote against him, then, you know, maybe it would have served a purpose. But at this point, it doesn't seem to be serving very much of a purpose. And, you know, it's easy for a person in Wyoming to say, well, no one would ever come to Wyoming if we didn't have three electoral votes. But, you know, I live in Chicago. No presidential candidates ever come to Chicago. Is that fair to me? You know, so it's uh, I think it's a, a complicated issue, and I understand why there are people who want to keep it. But no, I definitely think we should just move to a popular vote. Well, I mean, the numbers say it all. Yeah. Factually, Hillary Clinton beat Donald Trump by three point whatever million votes. And the same went for Al Gore against uh, George W. Bush. So the people who vote are frustrated because they feel like their vote didn't count. <laughs> that you know, that's how I felt. I've voted every year since I was able to vote, mm-hmm. and it, I felt that way in the Al Gore election with the hanging Chad stuff, and mm-hmm. uh, I felt that way when uh, Donald Trump won, too, because you go out to vote, you have your friends go out and vote, and you talk to people about voting, and then, you know, the opposite thing. There are a lot of ways in which the will of the people is suppressed, and it happens in all sorts of different ways, limiting who gets to register to vote, how they register to vote, who gets to vote, whether they, you know, can you register that day or not? Are there enough 
voting machines in your area? Are the polling places close enough to where you live? Are there ways to get there? So there's all sorts of ways that the will of the people is thwarted, and it has that effect not just of affecting that individual election, but yeah, it makes people feel like uh, my vote doesn't matter. It's hard to vote. I'm being disenfranchised, and both parties must hate me. So I'm just not going to vote. What's the point? And there are plenty of examples of elections that were won by a single vote, or they were tied and they had to, you know, draw a name out of a hat. So it's clear that votes do count, but it it has this chilling effect on elections for lots of understandable reasons. And it means that, you know, people don't vote and their voices aren't heard. It's this sort of circular problem. Right. I agree. And it has to do, like you said, with transportation, also ID issues, also mm-hmm. discouraging people, or you mentioned a number of, of different ways that it can be discouraging. However, mm-hmm. there are a lot of positive things that, that came out of this. I think the movement for women going, you know, to mm-hmm. go out and become elected just based upon mm-hmm. their frustration too. I think that the twenty sixteen election was pushed in the right direction in that respect for uh people's voices to be heard that wouldn't be otherwise. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I think about sometimes what would have happened if Hillary had won. And, you know, we're talking about like 10,000 votes each in three different states. So this is – it wouldn't have taken much to, to flip things and, and have Hillary won. And, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think we could know for sure, but I don't think she would have been able to do a lot. The Senate, uh, you know, in 2016, the Senate and the House were both held by Republicans. She would have had a Supreme Court nomination, which would have been nice, uh, but – I'm not sure how much she really would have been able to accomplish. The House and the Senate would have blocked everything. Maybe we wouldn't have won the House in 2018 because we wouldn't have had that impetus. And maybe now we wouldn't all be working really hard to register voters and to run for office. And so there there would have continued to be a problem. I, I don't think that that made it all worth it <laughs> that Trump was elected. There's so much suffering that has happened that I'm never going to think that there was a silver lining and it was good. But on the other hand, we can't go back and change the past. So there there are definite bonuses to what has happened. There are positive outcomes. People are thinking a lot more about who's running. How do they get to run? Can we encourage people to run and how? Who's voting? Can we help people register to vote? Can we get people's voting rights reinstated if they were felons? You know, there's lots and lots of things that have come out of this that have been really good. And so if you have to have a horrible outcome, like a person like Donald Trump becoming president, well, then at least we can focus on the positive things that have come out of it. Right. And the Parkland shooting tragedy. I live about an hour and a half from where it was, but I participated in the March for Our Lives and the students did a a bus tour that I was able to bring my niece and nephew to in Punta Gorda, Florida. However, they did speak at a a church and there were a lot of pro-Trump supporters trying to uh, tell them that they were taking their guns away when in fact that was not the case. (laughs) Those kids are 
strong and they're young and they're going to be our future leaders. And after speaking with them, they said that they need us as much as we need them. Yeah, you know, and and going back to what you said earlier about divisiveness and, and how fraught everything is now politically, you know, I think one of the sort of unintended consequences, perhaps, of people saying things like, everyone's trying to take my guns away and, you know, standing up for guns rights and (laughs) instead of the rights of people who are being shot, is that, you know, I didn't want to take everyone's guns away, and I still don't. But the more people try to, you know, put guns in schools and and do all sorts of things that are, are, you know, keep bump stocks on and do all these things that that make me feel less safe, the more I go, maybe I should just want to take your guns away, you know, and and I don't want to be that way. I never want to be someone who is polarizing and, and hyper-partisan and all of that, but it's it's hard when that is how everyone is being. It's hard not to get yourself sort of drawn into that and, and feel like, no, I'm going to fight you on everything just because <laughs> you're fighting me on everything, and so I'm going to push back on everything. And that I, I don't think that ever leads to healthy <laughs> outcomes in a democracy. <laughs> so uh, getting to the nuts and bolts of the podcast, what type mm-hmm. of equipment do you use to record and edit the show? What's the process for doing that? Since you and Sophie probably don't get together in a living room, you probably do it in right. uh, a different fashion. Yeah, so we record over Skype. I have a Skype phone number so people can call in to Skype. So usually Sophie's on Skype on her end, I'm on Skype on my end, and then most of the time our guests are calling in from their phones. I use a microphone, although obviously most of my guests probably don't. I use an ATR2100, and we record on Either if I'm on a Mac computer, which I am if I'm like on my lunch break at work, then I use a program called Piezo to record. And if I'm on my PC at home, I use MP3 Skype recorder. And then we edit in Audacity, although we often run the file through Levelator as well to sort of balance out the audio levels. And then upload it. We use Spreaker as our host. And so upload it through Spreaker. So you said that you release your episodes three times a week? Three times a week. (laughs) Uh, There's too many people to talk to. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I seem to be releasing them like every two days. Are there specific days that you put them out? Yeah, so it's almost always Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and the episodes go out in the evening. It's usually actually right after my kids are in bed while my husband is reading them their bedtime story. So when I'm sort of putting the finishing touches on an episode uh, before I post it. So it's usually around like 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, and I figure most people probably listen the next morning. So, yeah, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we'll occasionally have like a, you know, weird off day or a bonus episode or something if there's like a, you know, if Hillary Clinton ever wants to come on the podcast, we'll just squeeze her in <laughs> wherever we can. <laughs> right. But by and large, it's Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And we almost never take breaks. We took Christmas Day off and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, you need to. <laughs> but, uh, so what do you find is the most challenging part about podcasting? Uh, I don't love editing. I don't know that I find it challenging, but I don't love editing. If I could outsource anything, it would be the editing. But I 
really, I love everything else. I love booking guests. I love recording. I just totally love talking to people. I love making connections then when we post it on social media and people are interacting and often the guest will repost and say that they enjoyed coming on. So all of those parts are just a total joy. You know, editing I don't think is a joy, but I don't hate it either. I don't hate editing, but I don't love it either. So, <laughs> and sometimes the social media part of it can get a little annoying. It's just yeah. second nature at this point. Yeah, I spend yeah. so much time on social media anyway. <laughs> it's just a matter of, you know, switching which Twitter account I'm using and <laughs> which Facebook page I'm on. <laughs> right. So you mentioned some positive things, but what is the best part about podcasting? Or what, how has it improved or changed your life in, in the positive? Oh, my gosh, everything. <laughs> I think the best part is just getting to talk to amazing people. So, you know, you mentioned uh, Amy Klobuchar and Kirsten Gillibrand were on. We talked to Debbie Sabinow, who's a, a senator as well. Uh, I've gotten to talk to just a ton of women especially, but people in the U.S. House, governors that I've gotten to talk to, uh, people who lead nonprofits. Shannon Watts from Moms Demand Action was on the podcast just incredible people and getting to just pick their brains and they'll just answer my questions. It's amazing. It's really fantastic. You know, I think one of the things that isn't because of the podcast, but I've had mental health struggles as has Sophie and, you know, getting past the, I, I mean, really I was going through crippling anxiety, but getting past the anxiety in conjunction with doing the podcast has made me much more, outgoing in person. I don't, outgoing might not be quite the right word. I'm not an extrovert by any means, but like when I'm at political events now, I will just go up and talk to people, you know, talk to the interesting speaker and, and ask them questions and take a selfie with them. And that's been super incredible. And, you know, just people that we have talked to who are running for office, which is a lot of the people that we talk to, and then they win their election and knowing I had some small part in that and helping amplify their message is just totally gratifying. I want to ask you a few more questions about some politicians coming up in 2020. However, sure. uh, before we do that, I just wanted to ask a few more questions related to uh, the podcasting part of it. What advice would you give to someone who wants to podcast? Is there Are there any tips or suggestions or just motivating things that you could tell them? So I would say uh, it's way easier to have guests. (laughs) That doesn't sound easier. It's harder logistically. You got to book guests and you got to find time that you can all make it work and all of those sorts of things. But when we do episodes where it's just us talking, which isn't often, it's almost always guests, you got to think of a lot more things to say. a lot more to do. But what I would say with that is to not be afraid to just ask people. When we started, we would only talk to people we already knew with family members and friends. And, you know, we had friends doing really interesting things. So that worked for a while. And I remember the first time I ever sent an email to someone I didn't know was someone who was working on uh, the cross-check program, which is basically a way to throw people off voter rolls, and she was working to stop it. 
sent her an email and was like, you don't know me, and I just have this little podcast, but I, I would really love to interview you and talk about this. And she said yes, and I remember that just being this amazing moment. And then you realize over time, people want to talk. They want to get their message out, and they will say yes. And some people won't. Some people say no. Some people never respond. You know, we interviewed Eric Swalwell, who was running for president at the time, because he was on Twitter one night, and I sent him a direct message and said, hey, you want to come on the podcast? And he said, sure. (laughs) He didn't know me. I didn't know him. It was just, you know, he was running for president, wanted to get his message out. So I, I think that's sort of my biggest advice is like, don't be scared. Just go for it. Yeah, I have to agree with that. I used to uh, be a music journalist, so a lot of my contacts would be musicians. And there were a lot of that mm. I knew, but there were a, a ton of them that I didn't. All I had to do was send, and social media was a big help with that. Before that, mm-hmm. it was see if you could get backstage or <laughs> get a message through to them from their tour manager to see if they would be on my radio show. Social media, all you have to do is send, send a direct message to Ringo Starr and he'll say, <laughs> oh, contact my management, here's their phone number. Yeah. And then you've got Ringo Starr calling you. That's the cool part about social media. And, and it's awesome that Eric Swalwell actually responded and <laughs> you, you got him on the show. So You never cool know. Too. Yeah, you if never you don't know. Try. <laughs> right. So are there any resources that have really helped you along the way? I mean, honestly, Twitter has been the single most important thing in our podcasting journey. Twitter is where we've met tons of people we ended up interviewing. It's how we get the word out about our episodes. It's where I've met tons of friends in politics at this point. Uh, So Twitter, for all its faults, is probably the single most important tool for us. Uh, There's also a website that we use a ton called Ballotpedia which keeps track of not, I don't think it really tracks anything below state legislature, but anyone who's running for president or Senate or Congress or state legislature, you're going to find out everything about the district and uh, the office and who they're running against. I I practically live on Ballotpedia. I use that a ton. Uh, And then the sort of third most helpful thing I think for us is a group called Run for Something that was started by Amanda Littman, uh, who went to the same college I did, but 12 years later. (laughs) She's very young and very amazing. And uh, Run for Something encourages uh, people who are millennials and younger to run for office if they're progressive and give some advice and assistance. And so we have found a lot of guests when we were in 2018 trying to make sure we talked to at least one person in every state who was running for office, a lot of the people that we found were people who had been endorsed by Run for Something. So we have a a good relationship with them. What do you wish you had known when you started out? (laughs) I don't know. I, I think, you know, there were certainly things I learned along the way, but I think that they were all lessons that were better learned organically as they happened than things I wish I had known in advance. I I think if I could go back and tell myself anything, it would just be, this is really awesome, so make sure you stick with it. (laughs) I agree. I I think learning organically is the best way that you're going to learn. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there are things I didn't do perfectly at the beginning. I figured it out, kept going. (laughs) 
Right. I mean, you're always looking for ways to improve, whether mm-hmm. it's your personal life, your podcast, your professional life, or your relationships mm-hmm. with your family and, and friends. Everything comes organically, and, and the best lessons are the ones that are, are learned <laughs> on your own. <laughs> so, <laughs> so right now, who is your favorite to uh, beat Donald Trump in 2020? <laughs> My favorite candidate, and this is uh, not a surprise or hidden at all, is Elizabeth Warren. I love Elizabeth Warren. I've gotten to see her speak, I think, four times in person now. Uh, just sort of randomly happened that way. And I have not gotten to interview her, but I have met her a couple times just in her salty lines, and uh, she's amazing. I I think there are a lot of things I like about her. I'm very progressive, and so certainly the the progressive values and ideas are important to me. I see how much she inspires people. The the people who've come out and endorsed her have been really incredible. I go to a lot of activist-type events. Uh, So I was at the Congressional Progressive Caucus strategy session. I was at Netroots. And the people in both of those places don't just love her, but she's been a part of those groups long before she was running for president. They know her, they're friends with her. Uh, so that matters to me. And then frankly, it just matters a lot to me that she's a woman and a mom and a grandma. And all the things that I loved about Hillary Clinton, they're not the same candidate in any way, but I was super excited to vote for a woman. And I am once again, super excited to vote for a woman. Uh, I think that Warren, the polls don't totally reflect it right now, but I think Warren can and would beat Trump pretty easily. I think she'd mop the floor with him at a debate. But at the end of the day, I'm going to vote for whoever the Democratic nominee is. I'm going to work hard for whoever the Democratic nominee is. I'm going to knock doors and make phone calls and give money and, and all the things that needs to happen. I hope that it's someone like Warren that I'm excited about, but I, whoever it is, <laughs> I will be supporting them. Yeah. What female politicians do you see progressing and and moving on to bigger and better things? So my congresswoman in Illinois, uh, she doesn't get a ton of press, but her name is Robin Kelly, and uh, she's just fantastic. I hope that when Dick Durbin eventually retires from the Senate, she will take his place in the Senate in Illinois. Uh, So I see her uh, potentially moving up. I think uh, some of the freshman congresswomen, like Lauren Underwood, Lauren Underwood is in the Illinois 14th District. She's a nurse. She worked in the Obama administration. She's very young. I think she's the youngest African-American woman ever elected to Congress. And she flipped that district, the 14th, and she is just amazing. I've met her a couple of times, too. She's charismatic. She's smart. She's very careful about her politics, but doesn't shy away from taking bold positions. And uh, I think we're definitely going to see things from her. I mean, there's there's just tons and tons of women I could name, but those are two from my state that I, I definitely expect to see a lot more from. I think that for me personally, I would love to see uh, Stacey Abrams do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I I love her. I love everything that she represents. <laughs> also, I, I really would like to see 
Kamala Harris do something still. Mm-hmm. There are so many. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she's another mm-hmm. one, ruffling feathers. Just for the simple fact yeah. that a, a couple of weeks in, she was teaching social media. I could see uh, Stacey Abrams or Kamala Harris as a vice presidential candidate. Uh, frankly, I think any of the Democrats, when they're nominated, should pick Stacey Abrams, like whoever you are, whatever ticket you're trying to balance out, Stacey Abrams should be the vice presidential pick. I don't know if they all agree with me or if they'll do that, but if they're smart, (laughs) they'll pick Stacey Abrams. She's dynamic. I've seen her speak. I haven't met her, but I've seen her speak, and she's just incredible. Yeah, I think they... She should be on the the very short list to be a a vice presidential (laughs) candidate. (laughs) So uh, is there anything that I asked that you – that I haven't asked that you would like me to cover? Um, I don't think so. I think we covered most of it. I I guess the one thing I would say is that I really hope that everybody gets – involved in politics. If there are any Republicans listening, I don't hate you, <laughs> no matter what it might sound like. I, I want everyone to be involved. I mean, to me, that's the way democracy functions, is if everybody is involved and in paying attention and voting and registering to vote, uh, you know, that's sort of my my primary, yes, I want Democrats to win everywhere, and I want certain policy positions to be put in place. But really what I want is healthy debate and uh, active uh, participation. And so that's that's what I'm really hoping we can get going and that this has hopefully sparked. But we need to find a way to, to do that in ways where we're actually listening to each other and not just sort of, you know, putting up barriers and saying, nope, I believe this. And if you believe that, I must not agree with you. So I want everyone to, to have dialogue and participate. I believe that bipartisanship is the best way to go, especially in the Senate and Congress with bills in particular. Behind the scenes, there are a lot of people working together that you just don't hear about. And I think I I would like to hear a little bit more of that than the rhetoric that is going out from everywhere. (laughs) I have many Republican friends, and it's strange sometimes to see that they have such polarizing views and I do, but I could still look past that and hopefully they could look past my political views and we could still be friends. That's the one thing that that I, I think scares me the most out of it is when two people that are friends just based upon having the same interests with the exception of one it shouldn't be a dividing factor. So how can people find Two Broads Talking Politics? What, uh, so where, uh, what we are websites everywhere. Do you have? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so com, and that's T-W-O spelled out. Uh, so com on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Two Broads Talk. We have a Facebook page if you just search Two Broads Talking Politics. And we're on just about every podcasting platform that I can think of. If you try to find us somewhere and we're not there and you want to listen to us, then just uh, shoot us an email, twobroadstalkingpolitics at gmail.com, and I'll uh, figure out a way to get our podcast on there, too. Do you have any closing thoughts that you'd like to share or shout out <laughs> to anyone? <laughs> um, 
that's a good question. Well, I guess sort of closing thought, another project that I'm involved in is uh, Demcast. Uh, so if you're listening to this and thinking, yes, I really care about politics and want to get involved, uh, and I'm a Democrat, <laughs> uh, DemcastUSA.com is sort of my other big project and Two Broads Talking Politics, one of the podcasts in that network as well. So actually you can find our podcast there too. Wonderful. So, uh, Kelly, I want to thank you so much for joining me on your podcast or mine to speak about yours. Yes, thank you. To everyone listening to your podcast or mine, thanks again, and we'll chat soon. Science fiction stories and interviews blasting straight out of the Mojave Desert and beyond. Space Cowboy Books presents Simultaneous Times Podcast. Free to stream on your favorite podcast player. Find out more at spacecowboybooks.com and be sure to visit our store in Joshua Tree, California.